Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Psalm 134. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Think of someone uh, that you're in conflict with. Someone that you're in conflict with, someone who you do not see eye to eye with, someone who you have unresolved stuff with, someone who you plan your schedule around not being in the same place as. I wonder if they're going to be there, and if they're going to be there, then I'm probably, I'm probably going to have other plans. Someone who every time you see them or think of them, you get that feeling in your chest or in your stomach. Now, this may be a family member or a work colleague or someone who you go to work uh, who you go to church with it, but but it's it's someone that you're in conflict with right now. Now I want you to fix that person in your mind. I want you to see their face. I have mine. You able to see their face? Okay, good. Because that person is why Psalm one three three and Psalm one three four exist. Now, this morning, we're looking at both 133 and 134, and if I were to sum up these psalms, I would say something like this, that, that God is here when we're, we're together, Psalm 133, and that God is here when we're apart, Psalm 134. Or you might say that God is worshipped when we're together, Psalm 133, and that God is worshipped when we're apart, 134. And so through 133, God's message to you is that your contribution, your worship is valued. It's so incredibly precious. And then in 134, God says in essence, but you're not essential. My worship will continue whether you're involved in it or not, whether you're taking part in it or not. It's, it's not like church is done and then there's this awkward pause in heaven and God says, okay, I'll see you next week. Okay, no, the worship continues. So let's look at Psalm 133. This is the last sermon in our series on the 14 Psalms of Ascent, 14 journey songs. Now, these, these, these were the songs, like we've heard before, that, that God's people sang as they traveled to Jerusalem to worship him three times a year. And let's just reflect back on the journey that they've had, right? Psalm 120, they're in Meshech, far from Jerusalem, calling to God in their, in their distress. Then Psalm 121, they lift their eyes to the mountains and they're starting the ascent. Psalm 122, they arrive at Jerusalem, they're excited to worship God. 123, they uh, wait for God's mercy like servants looking at the hands of their master. 124, they celebrate their 
freedom from the foulest snare. One, two, five. They are reminded by the mountains surrounding them that God surrounds them. Psalm one, two, six. They they sow the seeds of revival with their tears. Psalm one, two, seven, and one, two, eight. They recognize that life without God is meaningless, and only God can bring true blessing. Psalm one, two, nine finds them reflecting on deep hardship and oppression, and then Psalm one, three, zero. They call out to God from the depths and they wait for his full redemption and then one three one they rest contentedly on God's chest like a weaned child with its mother and then Psalm one three two they take God off the shelf and they make him central. And now in Psalm one three three with all this in their minds they look around at each other at the gathering of God's people in Jerusalem, in Zion, each of them with their own stories and experiences and joys and sorrows and conflicts. And they acknowledge that even with all that they've been through, somehow, somehow being together is better than being apart. Being in community is better than going it alone. And that's us, right? Some of you sometimes drive me crazy, and I'm sure I drive you crazy, but I can't imagine following Jesus without you. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Amen. This is the main thought, the central thought of Psalm 133. It's uh, God's people living together in unity. Like the folks at Zion Hill Camp sing every summer during family camp. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. It's good to be part of the family of God with all our weaknesses and sins and failures and strengths, all our good points and our bad points, our sunny sides and our shadow sides. It's good to be together. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Now, this, this word good means it's, it's an objective good, right? It's not open for your know, question. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a righteous thing. It's a holy thing. It's a worthwhile thing. And then the word pleasant means it's a nice experience. It's a good experience. It's, some, it's an experience that touches you here. And if you're someone that's ever had a conflict resolved, then you know how that feeling feels. It's, it's like a weight lifted, right? It's, things are restored again. Things are okay again. And so the starting place of Psalm 133 is that unity is good. And it's, it's an objective good. And it's an experiential good. It's a good that can be felt. Which is probably why Romans chapter 12 verse 18 says this. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you... Live at peace with everyone. Then the rest of Psalm 133 lays out these uh, two images, these two pictures, to drive home just how wonderful unity is. First, uh, well, there's Aaron and then there's Herman. 
Now, first Aaron, uh, in, in verse 2 of Psalm 133, David likens unity to the, to, to the oil which, which was poured on Aaron when he was made high priest. He was the first high priest. And this oil was the consecrating oil or the, or the, the anointing oil. Right? It, it, it says in verse 2 um, that it's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, running down on the collar of his robe. And what we see here is we see a drenching, we see an overwhelm of the blessing of the Lord. Now, um, Exodus chapter 30, start, uh, starting at verse 23, um, uh, explains that this consecrating oil that God used to anoint Aaron, um, it, it, it explains what it was like that it had myrrh in it and cinnamon, this thing called, called calamnus, this thing called, called cassia, and, and also, had some, also had olive oil mixed in with it. All these things, the myrrh and the cinnamon and the calamnus and the cassia and the olive oil were all mixed all together. You could smell it from far off this that the, the smell of this anointing oil would have filled the air and then in verse 30 of exodus 30 god says this he says anoint aaron and his sons and consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests Aaron was drenched in oil in order to serve god aaron was drenched in oil in order to serve god and Psalm 133 says that we need to be drenched in the oil of unity in order to serve God. We need to smell like unity if we want God to use us. True unity is something that cannot be created inside us. It has to come from God himself. It has to be dropped on our bodies, as it were. Uh, it, it has to come from the Holy Spirit. You know, it, even Jesus needed to be anointed for service by the Holy Spirit. Listen to Acts chapter 10, verse 38. It says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of, uh, of the devil because God was with him. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 says this, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So there is this unity of the Spirit, which is like oil poured on our heads. And so uh, let me word it like this. When we're experiencing unity in Jesus, when we are anointed with the Holy Spirit, we can be used by God in ways that we never could be otherwise. The second image used in Psalm 133 is Mount Hermon. Verse 3. It is as if... The Jew of Hermon were falling down on Mount Zion. Here it is. It's as if the Jew of Hermon were falling down on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Now, this is a really cool image. You see, between May and October, Mount Zion, or Jerusalem, got zero rain or hardly any rain it was very very dry zion was dry 
However, Mount Hermon was wet. It was 300 kilometers north of Zion, and it was 300 meters higher than Zion. 300 kilometers north of Zion and 300 meters, 1,000 feet higher than Zion, and Mount Hermon was wet. But how cool would it be if through some miracle that the uh, rain that Mount Hermon usually received would somehow move its way over to Zion and that it would rain there. It would pour there. Wouldn't that be incredible? You know, the, the rivers would be full and the farmers would be happy and the landscape would be verdant and the grass would be green. Friends, whenever we commit ourselves to unity, God covers us with his, his blessing. We are drenched in his, in his blessing, even life forevermore, as Psalm 133 says. We become lightning rods for God's blessing. He pours it out on us when we're committed to unity. So, quick recap. Unity is like the anointing oil that sets God's people apart and fills us with the Holy Spirit so that we can be used by God. Here we go. Unity is like the anointing oil that sets God's people apart and fills us with the Holy Spirit so that we can be used by God. That's what unity is like. And unity draws God's blessing like the rain on Mount Hermon. And this message of unity, of togetherness, is all over the Bible, right? Here's a couple of examples in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit. There it is again, one in spirit and of one mind. And then here's another reference, Romans chapter 14, verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort, every effort every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Like I said at the beginning, God is with us when we are together. God is with us when we're united, when we're unified. But let me be clear on one thing. Unity should never be our goal. Unity is not our destination. No, God is He's our goal. He's our destination. Jesus is our goal, not unity. You see, you see, God's people um, did not make the pilgrimage to Zion in order to be together, right? They went to Zion, they went to Jerusalem to worship God. But here's the cool thing in making God their goal and their destination, and their aim, they got unity as part of the bargain. And this is the secret of unity, that unity is never the goal. Unity is always the byproduct of a greater goal. Okay, listen, this is important. If we, if we make unity our goal, then we will continually aim for the lowest common denominator that sort of unites us. We aim low. And when we aim low, we end up with a weak unity because it's based on a weak foundation. It's unity for unity's sake. Now, this low-hanging unity, this low-hanging fruit may be easy to reach, but it's not a satisfying unity and, a, and it's not a lasting un unity. It's not a robust or a strong unity. 
Okay, here's an example. Um, say that there's someone who believes in God, but they don't believe that God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They don't believe that Jesus is God, and they don't believe that Jesus is God's Son, and that Jesus is the only way to God. Well, what kind of unity can I experience with them? Only the weakest kind, because what we don't agree on is far more than what unites us. Now, that's not to say that we can't learn from others or listen to them or allow their experiences and their wisdom to help form us. Of course not. But true unity needs a deep foundation, uh, which is Jesus. The The Israelites were unified as they walked towards Jerusalem. They were heading towards a common place. They they had their different experiences on the way, but they were aiming towards the same place, to that place where God was, which is why unity is never the goal. Jesus must be the goal. Now, 1 Corinthians 3.11 says this, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And and having Jesus as our goal, as our foundation, uh, uh, as our Lord, invites us to share the deepest and most precious kind of unity imaginable. God is with us when we're together. Let's say that all together out loud. Ready? Here we go. God is with us. When we are together, he's with us when we are together. And the message of Psalm 134, our next psalm, is that God is with us when we're apart, when we go our separate ways, okay? Psalm 133, that God is with us when we're together. And then 134, God is with us when we're apart, if, 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 if Psalm 133 is the sigh of relief of the community of God coming together, then Psalm 134 is the fond farewell at the end of that time as they go their separate ways. The sacrifices have been offered. Uh, things are right with the Lord again. Worship has happened, and now it's time to wend their way back home. But even as they leave, uh, Psalm 134 tells us that they know that the worship is going to continue. They know that the praise of God does not stop simply because they're not all together in the same place. And so this final Psalm of Ascent, I would imagine them saying this as they go home. Okay, the, the first 13 Psalms of Ascent are Psalms of Ascent. And the, and the final Psalm of Ascent, Psalm 134, could be considered as a Psalm of descent. And so the people look back at the temple as they leave Jerusalem and they pray a prayer of blessing on the priests and the temple workers. Here it is. It says, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. They're, they're waving their arms as they walk, walk down the hill. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. The worship continues even though the people are scattering. And that's true for us, right? In between one Sunday and the next, like I've already said, God's not there, not sat there twiddling his thumbs and waiting for us to come back again. He's not anxiously waiting by the phone for our call. Uh, God's worship continues even when we're apart. That's the message of Psalm 134. 
Now in Psalm 134, um, God's worship was very much linked to a location. It was locational, right? And last week we heard that this location was the Ark of the Covenant, uh, God's footstool, this place where God was. And so when, and so when people left God's footstool, uh, the priests were needed to be there in order to sort of keep on worshiping on behalf of the people in their absence as they went back to their regular day jobs until they returned in a few months' time. But, but, but now that's changed. This is no longer how it is. You see, ever since Jesus rose again from the dead and God ripped the curtain of the temple in two from the top right down to the bottom. Ever since that moment, God is now saying, uh, I'm no longer linked to a location. Instead, I'm wherever the people are. Which means that people no longer have to go to Jerusalem or to a location in order to worship God. We no longer need a high priest because Jesus is our great high priest. And if you're in Christ then the Bible says that we are all priests serving under Jesus as the great high priest, which means we all have direct access to God himself through Christ. In, in Jesus, we have an access all areas pass. We are all priests representing God, and therefore worship happens wherever we happen to be. We are all priests so wherever you are this morning, if you love the Lord, then I want you to say this. I am a priest. Say it. I am a priest. First Peter 2 verse 9 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Verse 10, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Look at that. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. So let's say it again. I am a priest. One, two, three. I am a priest. Through Jesus, you have direct access to the Father. And so for us, we can understand one Psalm 134 like this, right? Even when I'm asleep, even when I'm not conscious, worship is going on because somewhere in the world, God's priests, God's people, people like you and me are awake and praising him and honoring him and worshiping him. And when they are asleep in Malaysia or the Maldives or Mauritius or Madagascar or Moldova, whenever they're asleep, I'm awake and praising God. You're awakened and, and praising God. It's like we've got each other's back. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. We hand off the worship of God, not to a few priests in one location, but to our brothers and sisters in the next time zone who hand it on to their brothers and sisters in the next time zone. And on and on it goes. 
Worship is like this Mexican wave that, uh, that moves around the world through continents and time zones and locations, which is pretty incredible, right? And so, friends, let this, let this incredible truth sink in that when we gather, God is with us. He's there in our unity. It's there that the Holy Spirit is poured out. It's there where God's blessing is. And then when we go our separate ways, that God is with us when we're apart, that that he's not tied to a location, that God goes with us wherever we go because we are the priests of God. And I believe that if we allow these twin truths to take hold of our lives, then our times together will be filled with God's presence and our times apart will be filled with God's purpose and with God's power. Amen. God fills us up to send us out. Listen to Acts chapter 8 verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in, in, in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Friends, listen to this. The church of Acts chapter 8 was scattered Everyone is alone there, on the run, they're, they're, they're in fear for their lives. Jesus' followers are being dragged off and thrown, thrown into prison. What would happen if that happened here? If we literally had to run for our lives because of our belief that Jesus is the Son of God and that he's worthy of, of all our praise and all our worship, what would happen if Acts 8 happened here? Well, verse 4 actually gives us a clue. Verse 4 of Acts 8. Listen. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Those who'd left their homes and their jobs and their families and their church. Those who had no Christian fellowship. Those who were on their own. Those ones, they preached the word wherever they went. They preached the very thing that had caused them to lose everything in the, word, in the world's eyes. They preached the very thing that had caused them to lose everything. They preached Jesus. They preached the cross. How do we account for this? How can we, how can we make sense of this? How can we understand this? Well, I think it's this, that when they were all together, when they were gathered in unity, they were filled with God's presence. And with his, with, and with his power. And because they were filled with God's presence and God's power, when they were scattered, they were filled with God's purpose. And the same spirit who filled these people in Acts chapter 8 is the same spirit who fills us, who, who fills us if we are in Christ. Amen. In Psalm 133, we are united in our worship of God. We are filled with God's presence and his power. And when we're scattered in Psalm 134, we know that the worship does not stop because we are the priests of God with Jesus as our high priest. So let me ask this about you. Or let me ask you this. 
As we wrap up these songs of ascent, these journey songs, what about you? Are you allowing the love of Christ to fill you so that you can say, when I'm with my brothers and my sisters, I know that God is there? Or are you allowing squabbles and pettiness and differences to quench the Holy Spirit? Friends, we should not be surprised if conflicts arise because we're sinful and we're human and we're frail and we fail and we mess up. We're still on this side of glory. But when these conflicts do arise, let's resolve them. Let's not give Satan a foothold. And so as we head into Advent next week, have the courage to ask God this. Who do I need to make things right with? Who do I need to call or email or text? Who do I need to have a conversation with? Who do I need to reconcile with? You know, just this just this past week, I had to make things right with someone and it was humbling. But it was necessary because if I want the Holy Spirit to have free reign in my life, if I want you know, the presence of God to pour over me, if, if we want the presence of God to pour over us like Aaron's consecrating oil, if we want to have God's presence and God's blessing like the dew on Mount Hermon, then we have no choice but to pursue dwelling together with God's people in unity, as Psalm 133 says. I have to prioritize unity over my pride, over my own desire to be right, over my own ego. You see, pride is such an enemy of the Lord. Let's, let's not even think about spiritual warfare or attacks of the enemy or persecutions for now. Let's leave all those things on the side. If, if uh, Satan's going to hamstring God's people, God's church, then he will do it through hurt feelings or through relational stress, through, through crossed wires, through misunderstandings, through thinking the worst of each other. That's how Satan's going to hamper God's work in our midst. Which is why Jesus said, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Why? Verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our witness is on the line here, friends. You can say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, but if you don't love your brother or sister, if you badmouth them, if you, if you refuse to forgive them, then you have some serious thinking to do. But remember, the goal here isn't unity. Jesus is the goal. Serving him, loving him, honoring him, living for him is the goal. And the byproduct of that choice to follow Jesus is unity. Unity comes in its wake. Choosing to follow Christ unreservedly will fill you with his power to seek reconciliation, to heal the damaged relationships, and to love your neighbor as yourself. 
Friends, it's when we choose to follow Christ wholeheartedly that we realize it doesn't matter whether we're gathered or whether we're scattered, that God will be glorified and worship will happen. When we choose Jesus, it's like we ascend into the presence of God so that we can descend in the power of God to fulfill the purposes of God. When we choose Jesus as our goal, we say, when we're gathered together, God is with us. And when we're scattered, when we're scattered apart, God is with us. He's here. This is the message of Psalm 133 and 134. This is the message of, of uh, Acts chapter 8. This is the message of the Psalms of Ascent. And as we end this message, as we end this series, as we head into Advent, as we descend the mountain to go about our lives once again, let me leave you with these words from Hebrews chapter 12. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart.